0: Antic Heart, Chapter 7 Henshurst Place by late afternoon, riding Pym with girl perched up beside me. We are all hungry, dirty and tired. I tell the gatekeeper that I'm here to see the Countess of Carlisle. He doesn't recognise me and is reluctant to open the gate. Who are you? I've never seen you before. I stamp my foot and shout at him I'm here to see the Countess of Carlisle. That is all you need to know. If you do not believe me, go and ask her. I tell you, if you turn me away, she will not be pleased. Now, just tell her a friend from London is here who has carried out the task she set me. And hurry, I need a drink. Reluctantly, he gets down from his chair and shouts out across the drive, Hey, I have a visitor here. One of the stable lads appears, ambling up to the gatehouse. The gatekeeper turns to me. Wait here, I'll send a messenger up to the house, he instructs. I dismount, holding Pym by the reins and allow girl to stretch his legs. The three of us wait there in the hot sunshine while the stable lad strolls to the house. Every minute or so, I look back at the road to check that no one is following us. But the road is empty. At last, the stable lad returns. She says she ought to come to the house, go straight to her chamber, he tells me. The gatekeeper looks annoyed, but opens the gate and allows us to pass through. I take Pim to the stables and then walk to the house, followed by an enthusiastic girl who recognises a place of previous pleasures. Lucy Carlyle is waiting for me in her chamber, dressed in sea-green silk with a white lace collar. She is wearing her mask. Seeing me, a bedraggled Puritan girl, with smudges of dirt on my skirts and sweat on my face, she laughs loudly. Or yet I did not recognise you. She smirks, but I have never been more pleased to see a friend. And the cleverly named girl, he is welcome again. She bends to Stroke Girl, who jumps up and licks her hand. She stands up again and spreads out her arms and embraces me for a moment, and then pulls back, wrinkling her nose. But first you must have a bath, she says. You smell of sweat. And horse, and I prefer something sweeter. She calls a manservant to bring a tub to her rooms and to the maidservant to help him fill it with hot water. Then she goes into the adjoining room where her husband's clothes were stored. She selects a doublet, breeches, a shirt, stockings, shoes and a cloak, all in black. The doublet shot through with silver. I can smell the sweet herbs that swirl in the hot water of the tub. Lucy Carlyle dismisses both servants and tells me to get undressed. I sit to pull off my boots and stockings. She moves across to the door, turns a key in the lock, and removes her mask. Again, I am surprised by her beauty. Her skin is smooth apart from two or three faded pop-marks, and her eyes are fine. I look at her appreciatively. She unpins her lace collar and turns her back to me. I find myself in need of a bath. Henry, unlace me. I obey and start releasing her from the dress. What is she planning? I am nervous, but also tempted. I have played a part for so long, I want to put aside the pretense. But is that wise? All I know is that sometimes wisdom goes against the needs of the heart. She stands there in her shift and stockinged feet. Come on, Henry, take off your gown, she urges. I want to see you. Without speaking, I obey. First, I remove my pouch and lay it carefully on a chair. Then I turn to allow her to unlace me, which she does swiftly, allowing the dusty gown to fall to my feet. I step out of it and turn. I am already bewitched by her, standing there in her translucent shift. But then she pulls her shift over her head and shows herself to me. She has the body of a girl, slender and without mark. The skin of her breasts is white and her nipples are rosy red. The space between her legs has auburn hair, as on her head. I gaze wonderingly at her. Come, Henry, you now, she orders. Her voice is sweet like a bride's, but there is steel in it. It is too late to turn back. I pull my shirt over my head and stand facing her, as naked as she is. Lucy throws back her head and laughs loudly. Oh, as I thought. Henriette, you are beautiful, ma chérie. I blush and then I say, shall I get dressed, Lucy, now you know? She laughs again. No, of course not. You stink. And whatever you are, Henriette, I like you. We stay in the tub until the light starts fading at the window and the water is cold. Lucy is a practised lover and uses many of the tricks that I have used. But this time I enjoy them rapturously. I arch my back and feel the waves of pleasure pulsing through me from my feet upwards to the deep centre of my being. I am not pretending. I am not seeking to gain anything. I am simply yielding to the desires I have had for many years. At this point, I do not care if she betrays me. I do not care if my career is ruined. I simply want her and the pressure of her soft, insistent fingers inside me. Later, I explore her and she opens herself completely to me. I cling to her as if I am drowning. I have never been so completely lost in a woman and I am ecstatic. We get out, shivering and dry each other with soft, lavender-scented towels. I trace the outline of her breasts gently and then wrap the towel around her. Then I move a little apart from her and wrap my towel around myself. She picks up two smaller towels and hands one to me. I take it and start to dry her hair. The water has made it dark red and it curls at the nape of her neck. She sits obediently, like a little child in front of her mother. I know that I am falling in love with her, and for once I don't care. She knows my secret, and I trust her to hold it safe. I continue, rubbing each lock gently until the water has been absorbed by the towel. She looks lovingly at me, then she laughs at me. Henriette, you haven't dried your own hair. The water is dripping down your face. Here, let me. She takes the dry towel to my hair. She is not as gentle as I am, but her touch reassures me that she has feelings for me. Now, Henry, much as I hate to do it, we must get dressed and talk business. I want to know everything. I put on the clothes that she has chosen for me. The doublet is loose on me and she promises that one of the maids can take it in. I tie my pouch around my waist. It feels good to be in a man's clothes again. I am able to move unimpeded. There is no need for her to help me with any lacing. I help her though, as she steps back into the sea green gown. She holds up her dark red hair while I lay steadily, ribbon crossing ribbon. This means so much to me, I say softly. I never thought that this would happen, but with you I can be myself. I've never loved like this before. I trust you with my life. I tie the last knot and she steps away. She looks at me seriously. You should not trust anyone. Anyone, Henry. No one. In this game, none of us are what we seem. Men, women, parliament, king. It is all shifting. I feel slighted and cry out. But I can trust you, Lucy. Don't tell me that I can't. Henry, I will not tell anyone your history. I can promise you that. But don't love me. "'I warn you, I have loved many, and will again. "'I don't want to hurt you, Henry, "'but these days we find love fleetingly, "'wherever we can find it. "'You will learn that.' "'I am angry with her. "'I know that, Lucy. "'I know about flirting and charming women. "'For three years now I have been supporting my mother by doing that. "'But this is different.' Surely you can see that. She moves across to me and takes my arm. Don't be angry, dearest Henry. I love you in my own way. I promise you I will always be pleased to see you. But you are free and I am free. And in these times that is the only way things can be. Now come with me to my parlour and we can talk about how your mission went. I don't reply, sulking. Come, come, I will send for some wine. The cook has made quince and mutton pies. I expect you are hungry. I eat two pies, washing them down with French red wine while she nurses her goblet, sipping from it occasionally. I finish brushing the crumbs from my lips and she becomes businesslike. So... "'Tell me what happened and how you came to tumble home so suddenly "'and dressed as a maid. First, let me show you this. "'I reach into my pouch and bring out the ruby pendant "'glowing in the candlelight. "'Lucy whistles in astonishment. "'I did not expect this. "'This belonged to an aristocrat, someone special.' How did Mistress Pettigrew come by it, I wonder? No matter, she was more profitable than we expected. Well done, we can sell this in Amsterdam and the money will be well used. Now, tell me how it went. We sit up late and I tell her the whole story from the beginning until the end. I notice that she doesn't flinch when I tell her about my evenings with Judith Pettigrew. She is hardened to this, using sex to gain money, power or information. But she tenses when she hears hears about the manner of my exit. So, someone betrayed you. We need to find out who it was. Who knew your identity? Judith Pettigrew and her servants. No one else, I respond. Could it be Judith Pettigrew? Was she angry when you left? Did she feel betrayed? Her tone is sharp and I can sense her intelligence. I feel as if I am a pupil who has m- misbehaved in class. No, she knew. I was planning to stay only a little longer. She wasn't angry. What about the servants? A question that is hard to answer. I think only Nelly knew anything. "'The other servants would know I was working there as a secretary. "'They knew that D- Judith Pettigrew needed some help "'in sorting out the business. "'So, Nelly then, did she overhear anything?' "'I blush and look down at the floor as I speak. "'She may have seen me leaving Judith Pettigrew's bedchamber. "'And yes, she didn't like me, but she loves her mistress.' I cannot see Nelly causing her any harm. So we have drawn a blank, she says, but we cannot continue unless we find out how this betrayal occurred. To do so would be to risk everything. Wait a minute, I say. Her son John stayed there for a week. He knew I was there. He knew nothing of what Judith and I were discussing, but he hated me. Maybe it was him. She drums her fingers on the arm of her chair. Hmm. And where is he now? Stationed with his regiment. She didn't know when he would be back, I answer truthfully. I see. So he is unlikely to return within the next week. I wonder where she is heading. Yes, that would be extremely unlikely. She looks at me weighing up whether she can ask me to do what I know she wants me to do. She takes a deep breath, her mind made up. Henry, I need you to return. You are to establish your identity once more. You are a secretary who had to leave suddenly because... Because your mother was ill. My mother is in France, Lucy, I object. Your brother, then she says irritably now you return and finish your work with mistress pettigrew talk to the servants in the kitchen ask them about what happened that day when you left why the raid who has been talking i take a deep drink of wine and look down at girl curled up on the floor i sigh deeply i do not want to return into possible danger but I can see Lucy's reasoning. I know it is risky, but if the soldiers are away, then the risk is much less. You can be the angry young man who is furious to have been suspected. You will be more Puritan than Oliver Cromwell, more Nonconformist than an Anabaptist, more disciplined than an Ironside. Find out where the leak is, finish your business and return. And Judith Pettigrew, I demand, wishing that she would mind. Be kind to her, Harry. Keep your reputation, but do not stray into dangerous territory. And by that, I mean discussion of politics. She is sympathetic, but we don't know who is listening. Keep your sword by your bed. With luck, this will only take two days, and you will be away before anyone has time to catch you. And if they do, I ask sarcastically. Her tone is serious when she replies. Fight to the death, Henry. Do not be captured alive. She reaches out and takes my hand. We have to be hard in this game, Henry. She smiles ruefully at me. I do not anticipate your death, my dear. If it were to happen, I would be extremely distressed. But those are the rules, dear one. Tears gather in my eyes. So do I mean anything to you at all? I ask, feeling the tears spill down my cheeks. Always, my dear. The memory of today will always stay with me. And I hope we have many more memories together. She releases my hand and then takes me in her embrace. Darling, these are topsy-turvy times we live in. Don't get downhearted. We have one night together. Let's not waste it. I allow her to coax me up the stairs to her bedchamber. The tub, towels and jugs have all gone. The bed is freshly made with the pillows plumped up. I turn to her and seize her in my arms. She is soft and yielding, this woman I love. She melds herself to me so closely that I can feel her breath on my cheeks. No, no, I tell her, I won't allow this. I turn her round and start unlacing her. She must be naked for tonight. She stands there like a little girl until she is released. And then she turns to me and starts pulling off my doublet. Fumbling, slipping, kissing, we undress each other and move towards the bed. That night, I know I will never love anyone the way I love Lucy Carlyle. We have no secrets. I tell her about my struggle to support my mother and how I had had to take on a man's part, how that part had become second nature until today, how I had discovered that I had a gift with women that enabled me to rely on their charitable donations. She tells me about her lovers, her husband whom she had married in defiance of her father's wishes, then about her career as a spy, first of all for the parliamentary side. Something had to be done, Henriette. The king was not listening to the people. How she had later become convinced that there needed to be a partnership between king and people and had switched to the royalist side. How she was found out and imprisoned in the Tower of London. And now she is free and she writes to Orlando, the young king and is running a spy network for him. When you return to France, dear one, seek out the king's mother, Queen Henrietta Maria, and send her my loving wishes. Tell her I remember her from the days when we were young together. I was her lady in waiting. She didn't like me at first, not one bit, but she appreciated my wit. And she saw that, with me, she could have fun. There wasn't much of that about for a young queen sent away from her homeland. I will, my love, I promise that is, if I get back to France. She laughs, oh, a delicious laugh. You will, dear one, you will. And we shall dance together in Whitehall when Orlando comes back to take his own. She kisses me again, drawing my face to hers. I melt as her fingers start to work within me. On and on, with no way of escaping them. And I finish with waves of delight washing over me. I lie for a moment and she kisses my chest. Then moving her mouth downwards. I stop her and roll her over onto her back, kissing her breasts, licking her round belly and then moving between her legs. Slowly, slowly, then hard, fast and insistent. And then all at once she finishes. And then again, what seems like all night. After many hours, we eventually fall asleep. As the dawn breaks, sending shafts of watery light into the room. We don't speak as we breakfast together in her chamber. I've not seen her sister at all. We have conducted all our business in her part of the house. Girl snuffles for scraps underneath the table. I cannot bear this. It feels so hard to discover love and then to have to leave. But as Lucy says, these are the rules. A home, a family and a protector are not for me. Lucy briefs me. I am to return to Judith's house and check that there are no troops remaining there. Then I am to enter full of righteous anger. How could anyone suspect me of being a royalist spy? I am to find out from Judith from the servants and tradespeople who may have betrayed me. I am to finish my work, get a reference from Judith and return to Penshurst. Then we can decide what I do next, whether I return to France or try to engage with another widow. Girl whimpers as we leave. He has enjoyed his brief stay and the tasty morsels that had dropped regularly under his nose. I bend, and kiss Lucy's hand and then drag him away towards Pym who is res- well rested after a night in the stables. I perch girl in the front of the saddle and swing myself up onto the horse's back. Lucy waves at us, smiling brightly. How can she? I wave back and trot out down the drive and onto the road to London. I arrive in the heat of mid-afternoon. Lucy has given me some money so that I can stay in an inn while I check out the situation. I find one nearby that has stabling for Pym and an alehouse on the ground floor. I have a room to myself with a small bed, glazed window and a table and a chair. It is simple but better than many I have stayed at. Girl and I rest on the bed for a few minutes... And then make our way downstairs. The tap room is full of men. All drinking and some smoking. I sit at the end of a table and push girl underneath. I order a tankard of beer and a spiced meat pie with some sausage for girl. The landlord brings them over and pauses to question me. I haven't seen you before. Are you in London for work? yes. "'I was working for Mistress Pettigrew on Bishopsgate,' I say. "'This is the strategy, making myself irate.' "'I go on. "'I was doing a good job there. "'I had to leave for a few days because my brother down in Kent was ill. "'When I come back, I hear that there are soldiers there "'and wild talk about spies and all sorts of nonsense. "'I don't want to get mixed up in that type of thing.' I am a Parliament man from tip to toe. And so I decided to sleep here before returning to Kent. The landlord laughs and claps me on the back. You haven't heard the latest, my lad, he says, beckoning to a dark-haired man to join us. Luke here has got a brother who's a soldier. They were led a merry dance and they found no one, did they, Luke? Luke chuckles and takes a large gulp of his beer. "'Right waste of time that was,' he confides. "'Caught no one. Not that there was anyone to catch. "'Just a few women fussing in the kitchen. No spies.' "'So why did they think there was a spy? "'I do not want to go back into that household "'if there is any chance of being involved with a royalist plot.' "'Don't worry,' says the landlord. "'It was just women's talk.' "'Nellie was in here talking about how her mistress had taken in some secretary to work for her. "'That would have been you, lad, wouldn't it?' "'I nod, but indeed it had been me. "'It seems that Mistress Pettigrew took a shine to you,' says Luke, looking at me rather dubiously. "'Did you know that?' I shake my head. "'I was simply working for the lady. I cannot imagine what got into her head.' These old women, they imagine things. Smile at them, bow, and they think you want to be their lover. They imagine things, you know, as they get older. The landlord laughs, and I join in heartily. But how did the soldiers get involved? I ask. Luke takes another drink. It was like this. Nelly was in here talking about you and a soldier overheard. Now, Nelly is a foolish woman, but means no harm. "'She was complaining that her mistress spent every day with you "'and it wasn't fitting. "'As if a young blade like you would be interested in Mistress Pettigrew.' "'He guffaws and a froth of beer blows out from his mouth. "'Now, this soldier, what was his name? "'John, I think. "'He says to Nelly that he can remove the young man, "'that's you, lad, from the house.' He spins this story of there being a royalist spy in the house and gets some of his friends to go and search it. The idea was to frighten you off. But they made fools of themselves. You'd already left, lad, and they lost three hours of sleep questioning two old ladies. So John Pettigrew had been jealous of me and had plotted to remove me from the house but it looks like he had not had any evidence to suggest that I was a spy. It was simply that he suspected my motives regarding his mother and had wanted to get rid of me. He may have told her to dismiss me, but she would have refused. And so he concocts a plan to frighten me off. I breathe a deep sigh of relief. Lucy had been right. If I had simply disappeared, that would have looked suspicious. As it is, I could be confident that our network had not been betrayed and I could continue with my work. I take a deep draught of beer and complain. So, I've been slandered simply because of a jealous woman and some soldiers with nothing better to do. I will take it up with Mistress Pettigrew tomorrow. I have a mind not to return, but I have my professional reputation to maintain. I will tell her I am not pleased. The landlord claps me on the back. Leave it, lad. She's a sad old widow. As for Nelly, she hasn't shown her face again. I've heard she nearly lost her job. But it's all over now. And you, lad, need to buy us a drink. I laugh heartily. Now, we can't be indulging in too much beer now, landlord. That would not be godly. "'But in this case, friends, we can manage just one.' "'I dig in my pouch for some coins, "'remembering that the pendant it had contained "'was now safe in Lucy's hands. "'Are the moths in there, lad?' Luke teased. "'Seems like you are not eager to treat your brothers.' "'I joke,' I assure him. "'We are all brothers, and I am happy to treat you. "'But after this one, I will retire to my chamber.' ''We need to be moderate in all things.'' They all laughed uproariously, but once I got a Bible out of my bag and started reading it, they drifted away. It was the Bible I had read to Judith, and I am glad to have found a use for it. That night, I toss and turn. I am too hot, and girl is snoring. Whoever thought a dog could snore this loudly I need to work out how to handle Judith Pettigrew. Will she be as eager for me as she was before? And how will I handle the amorous side of our relationship? After meeting Lucy, other women have lost their appeal for me. But I must not alienate Judith. She may come up with future funding, even provide a safe house if her son is safely out of the way. But then there is Nellie. No traitor but a bloody difficult woman. Can she be persuaded to keep her mouth shut? Somehow I doubt it. I leave the inn early, going into town to buy a new lace cap for Judith and some almond sweetmeats for Nelly. I hope that the gifts will smooth my way back into the household. I go back to the inn, collect girl and saddle up Pim, flinging my bags across his broad back. I pay the landlord and leave a large tip for him. If you hear any more nonsense about me, just let me know, I tell him. I am at the house on Bishop's Gate. I will make it worth your while. The landlord looks closely at the coin and pockets it. That I will, lad. You can depend on me. Never like those who meddle in others' business. Live and let live, that's my motto. And mine too, I say. But I must ensure that my reputation is not damaged by this. It is my good name that gets me employment. Don't you worry about that, lad. Your good name will not be besmirched in this inn, not if I have anything to do with it. With promises of undying friendship and some sausage wrapped in a cloth for girl, I bid him good bye and leave him standing in the doorway re-examining the coin I have given him.